Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, Westside Personalized Podcast has made its way into the English IMC here, English department. It's good to be back home uh, at Westside High School. Uh, and I'm excited today to get a chance to visit with uh, Molly Spizak, who teaches AP Comp and some other courses. I'll kind of let her talk to you about those here in a minute. But that's the class that we're going to focus on for the duration of the pod today and some of the personalized practices that they were able to implement. Awesome stuff. I'm really excited uh, that she's going to be able to share and, and just r- really how ambitious I think uh, their unit design was. Uh, she and Melissa Inman, who will also be part of this podcast. And so um, you know, I'm recording this kind of individually with them, and I'm going to cut pieces uh, from both conversations to, to weave in. So uh, be, be ready for that. Be looking for that. We'll see how that goes. But um, Molly, welcome. Hi. Can you tell us uh, just a little bit about kind of your experience in education and what you know, classes you teach and all that good stuff, kind of bio? Sure. I started in education a, a little over 10 years ago in New York State. I was sort of Uh, figuring out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and started as an educational assistant in upstate New York with a special education classroom in seventh and eighth grade and quickly became a teacher assistant and taught English to those kids, uh, same kiddos, and uh, decided that I wanted to get my teaching certificate. So we moved back to Omaha. I went back to school and got a second degree in uh, secondary education. So I've taught Seventh, eighth, and then all grades nine through twelve since I've been at Westside. So, department chair, co-department chair currently. Yes, yes. Um, former teammate of mine. My first chair was here when I was awful and didn't really speak to anyone. Not true. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I really appreciate getting a chance to to know Molly and was super excited to really collaborate a little bit on um, supporting their vision for how they wanted to. Let this personalized unit in, in AP comp play out, and so I guess to start off, where, why this particular piece, um, and what were you hoping to accomplish by giving uh, really a lot of choices? Is really it seems where that conversation started. So AP comp is a little bit different from other English classes that I've taught in that um, it really focuses on argumentation and how words and language speak and argue for pers- uh, specific purposes. And so when we started with this unit, we wanted to use literature specifically to talk about how argumentation uh, lended itself through a fiction genre. And so it didn't really matter what, this, what pieces of fiction the students were reading, but more of the lens from which they were looking at literature and that component of how does literature lend itself to an argument and create an understanding sort of for the masses about those specific lenses. So we looked at gender representation and race representation and mental health representation. So we knew that those lenses were ones that we wanted to focus on, um, but the literature was sort of secondary, which made personalizing the unit better. Um, It's kind of like ripe for personalization almost. Right, right. Cool. And so how do you go about 
arriving at those lenses? Is that something that you guys just sort of identified and shared? Do you have a conversation in class? Well, way back in June and July when Melissa and I first started thinking about how this year would look because it was a brand new curriculum. Um, the course existed uh, or has sort of been in transition for the last couple of years. So we had the opportunity to sort of build this course from the beginning. And we thought of one of the units being like representations of race and another unit being representations of gender and one being mental health. And we met with a couple of professors who are in charge of the writing program at UNO and said, you know, this is kind of what our syllabus looks like. What, you know, what are your thoughts? What would you change? And they said, you know, there's a certain intersectionality of all of those units that you have proposed of gender, race, and mental health. And it really does a disservice to just focus on one of those lenses. Mm -hmm. So how do you incorporate um, this intersectionality and create one unit as opposed to making them different? Like in this book, we're just going to look at race. In this book, we're just going to look at gender. Um, because, you know, you can be uh, all three of those things in one character, one person. And mm-hmm. so how that intersectionality also intertwines in the lesson. And in, yeah, in the, and in the individual. Right. I mean, to kind of the point of all that. Yeah. Uh, and so then the number of texts that you had here, uh, we had seven different texts, right? We did. Uh, and so what were some of those that you'd selected, maybe, if people are curious? Yeah, um, so the ones that were primi- that primarily dealt with race were The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Homegoing, um, which is a, a brand new text that we were excited to buy and bring to our curriculum this year. But you could also look at gender representation through that text as well. We also had The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath and Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, uh, Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, by Ken Kesey, and and Catcher in the Rye. Awesome. So with all of those choices, uh, they were able to then, just to be clear about this, they were able to look at any and all of those kind of through one of those lenses, depending upon which one they saw being prominent, Right. According we, to their own perspective a little bit? Yeah, we created lenses for each of those texts, but then also um, asked them to explore some of that intersectionality of how gender influences some of the characters, um, even if you were primarily looking at race representation or vice versa. Okay, so what kind of activities, assignments, um, collaboration opportunities did you implement in order to uh, have them yeah, start to really look for those pieces? Well, one of the things you do as an English teacher all the time is when you're reading a book is when you come up upon a passage that is especially resonating, right? You like circle that, put questions next to it in your own text, think about enrichment activities that would go along with some of those components that uh, become interesting to you as the teacher of that text. And so one of the things, one of our goals was to sort of hand that over to students to let them figure out what was interesting and to enrich their own texts. So we had some extensions that we required because we felt like they um, had to be done in order to hit a certain standard or goal for our unit. Um, But students also had the opportunity to watch TED Talks or to listen to podcasts or find research articles of their own that interested them as they came across some of those allusions um, that were prominent in the text or 
different topics that were brought up. I mean, I'm just thinking about in Homegoing, one of the characters explores a relationship with a a person of the same sex, and it takes place in Ghana. And so one of her research activities was looking at the perception of homosexuality in Ghana in the 1800s. And it was something that I hadn't thought of, nor um, really used for my own enrichment and so when Mm -hmm. I was reading her sort of report on this topic it allowed me to learn this other facet that was interesting to her that um, enriched her reading and then ultimately with those that she shared her blog with so gosh and those opportunities are incredible and that's what I advocate for personalized learning and I love it in the English classroom when it gets to a place where students are this is that stage two stage three of a personal environment right where students are taking control of whatever's going on uh, and, and starting to like run with that because you don't go to the library, like check something out or Barnes and Noble, right? and then they send you with like, here's four prompts. Here's like the primary things you need to look for. Like I don't, you know, download something onto my iPad or go to Amazon and, and also get those like study guides or things. You get, you get into book clubs and you read and uh, these texts do affect you and you do have to be intentional about like having a lens and thinking about the social commentary that these things are making and uh, for you to start to uh, create space for that to, to exist in class is an op- awesome learning opportunity I think for students it's authentic to how they're going to experience reading hereafter mm-hmm. uh, and it's got was it fun for you as a oh, teacher to like get in I'm hearing that with that yeah, comment you no, made. for sure so Maybe you've heard this before, but grading papers for an English teacher is sort of like the bane of our existence, no. right? Yes, yes, and it's true. I'm sure it's very simple. It doesn't take any time. No, no, it's a, it's a long process, but <laughs> I found myself really looking forward. So we had them create blogs as sort of this vehicle for them to put all of their observations on. And the first time we assessed their blogs, it was really, could you uh, do what we asked you to do and get it on this medium? Um, and and not really worry about aesthetics and some of those components. And then as we got a little bit further in the assignment, it was, you know, how does it look? How does your audience perceive this? And um, they were really fun to grade. Grade, I sort of put that loosely because it was really a, you know, show me what you've learned as opposed to, you know, what, what did you do wrong? I don't know. I guess that's how we get sometimes when we are. But it was really like, show me all of what you did right. And so that was fun. And to be able to look at their own learning and see some of those pieces of growth come out of their, their work was, was really fun. And that's, I know, and I got a chance to bebop in and out of class a couple times and lead in, in a couple moments. Um, so thanks for that opportunity when I got to be back in class, which I always appreciate. Uh, but I love, personally at least, for blogs, it is just interesting uh, when you're trying to do something so academic with it, balance between academic voice and informal voice, mm-hmm. uh, where I feel like students sometimes, they just, they do one extreme or the other. You want me to write mm-hmm. an essay? This is how I talk. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to write something that has a little bit of my voice to it? it not that it reads like a text message, but it's goofy, uh, mm-hmm. and they won't really structure, th- you know, things get really loose, I feel like, in terms of like the sake of actually making a concise point and developing an argument. Um, and so how do you feel, maybe just in that component, we can talk media and all these other things that you know um, thereafter, but did you see some growth in that area? Um, for Absolutely, that idea of like academically informal writing was new to, you know, something that I hadn't really thought of as sort of coining as a term, that you're writing for a specific audience and paying attention to that audience, which 
is one of those goals of composition in general. Just mm -hmm. who is your audience and how do you write or tailor your message towards that audience? So for them to get into that mode of, no, I don't want an MLA heading on this piece that I'm asking you to write because that's not how real uh, real writing looks. Right. Um, like in real writing, I mean writing for the public. You don't often encounter an MLA heading, but mm -hmm. um, to Crack be able to say... Crack open the newspaper. Right. <laughs> so glad they put yeah, right. the date. Thank gosh. <laughs> um, and some of the assignments really lended themselves to more informal. So their reflections could be more informal, talking to someone who might be interested in the book. Um, and we had them do like a, they watched a documentary on one of their lenses as one of their activities. And we had them do a film review and look at how film reviews are written. And so they had to be a bit more formal in that kind of writing. So getting them to really think about that audience and that academic informal and informal informal writing and how to put it all together in a way that uh, was appealing to any and all of audience members that would read it. So that was fun for them and for us too, to sort of guide them in that direction. Yeah, and, and there might be people listening going, well, if you're blogging, aren't you just writing journals? Uh, and No. No. <laughs> right, no. Uh, thank you. I, I, I feel very strongly that it, because it does have the audience piece there, and right. that should influence that, and so I... Um, I know too, I wish I had the stat with me right now, I'm going to have to go back and add this in later, but um, Dr. J.M. Rickabaugh, uh, who does all the personalized, personalized learning guru, came through um, about three weeks ago uh, and was sharing with our LEA2 here in the district, our second year teachers, the, the stat that, I forget what the time frame was, which is where I'm going to botch this stat, but that essentially the number of um, consultants or kind of independent contractors out there has doubled over, let's say, the last five years or whatever the time frame is that he was looking at. That was from NPR. Wow. Uh, and what the implications of that for today's, you know, students as they kind of enter into this workplace where it's going to be up to you to be self-promoting, to reach an audience, to have the responsibility of everything that, you know, we as teachers sort of appreciate with this, well, somebody else takes care of my health care plan and like, all the all the stuff that you have to kind of manage. And I do feel that um, the voice that you're developing with an assignment like this uh, and that blog as a format and the struggle to figure out <laughs> how to represent your thoughts in a digital um, world and age is really important. Uh, so I like for those that might be like, well, what, what's the academic point? This has, this has a direct applicability. Um, you can't just say, when could I ever possibly use this in the future? Right. right? Well, and as students uh, became more invested in their blogs, they were excited. You know, if somebody from the outside, not me or a friend, had read it and liked, you know, you get that point where, do you know somebody read my blog? Do you know that they liked this one post that I did about this and this and this? And to see that. And also... I just did an informal, you know, who's going to continue to blog as you go, you know, the assignment's over now, right? So you've got this blog, it's in, uh, you know, in your possession. Mm -hmm. I had them sign up with their own email addresses and, you know, what are you going to do with it now? And, you know, of course, some are like, I'm done, I'm never going to blog again. <laughs> um, but, you know, well, so they uh, think, right. yeah, which is fine. Uh, a, a large handful, a surprising number had said that they were going to maintain it in some format and perhaps... It wasn't going to continue to be a literature blog, but you know mm -hmm. that they might um, gear it towards something that they're you know personally more interested in. But you know to be able to take that piece of technology that was very frustrating in the very beginning and to turn it into something that they think that they might continue to embrace is also you know pretty rewarding from a teacher's standpoint. 
So let's pivot on that point then and talk about uh, the the tech piece uh, because <laughs> as I had this experience, I think you in our chats I know had this as well. We don't have all the answers, right? Uh, and I think that that's okay. Sometimes it's it's very difficult for any teacher to give choice uh, or to try new things and be the tech aficionado, you know, of that of one or forty different apps uh, right. in order to answer everyone's questions. And so, uh, talk a little bit about how that process kind of went, um, and and students working through it, and how you kind of left it to them on some level to figure it out. Yeah, I told them that the goal of this unit, there were a couple, but one of the goals for sure was a component of problem solving. And I said, you know, as a teacher, it's very difficult for me not to help you and give you the answer and the guidance and the complete steps that you need. I said, but one of our goals is that you will break away from us a little bit and learn some of those pieces on your own. So if you ask me how to do something, I will say, I'm sorry, but I can't help you with that. What might you do to figure it out? Um, and if they come to the place where they're obstinate about fixing or finishing something, then I, you know, I would say, how would I solve this? I would probably Google a question that said something like this. How do I add a tab in WordPress mm -hmm. and see what comes up? And they were amazed at how many YouTube videos and step-by-step -step instruction manuals were really on Google just from asking some of those questions. And I mean, I just had a student, they're revising their blog after getting feedback. Um, I just had a student this morning who came by and, you know, she didn't do so great on her organizations and aesthetics of her blog. And she's like, well, I just don't know how to fix it. I said, well, you know, you have to have tabs or some sort of way to navigate your blog. It's frustrating for your audience to have to scroll to see everything. Um, if they only want to see this part of your blog or this part, you know, you should be able to navigate it to it easily. And she said, well, I just don't know how to do that. And I said, I, I don't either, you know, and that's sort I mean, I think that for some teachers that becomes uncomfortable because yeah. we're supposed to be sort of the master of all things um, that we're teaching. And so to sort of shift that and say, I don't really know the answer to that either. You know, there's, you're going to have to go through a couple different avenues to figure that out. And she, uh, you know, was not too happy with me yesterday in class, but you know, when she came by my desk and said, look, I got all of my tabs up. Look, I, <laughs> I fixed my aesthetics. It looks so much better. Yeah. You know, and I, and I just turned around and I said, I'm so proud of all that you have accomplished. And she said, I'm really proud of myself too. And that part becomes rewarding to be able to hand that ownership back to a student and let them figure it out on their own and have that sense of, I did it, I figured it out, this is how I figured it out, and go through those steps of problem solving, mm -hmm. because even though this was a literature and lens of argumentation unit, there was like this whole other component about problem solving and figuring things out and perseverance that I don't think that really become something that you can measure on a standard, but something that's invaluable to students. Yeah, how many times as a teacher do you get frustrated in moments like that where you know, students, I, I go off about this in our training a little bit too, but they're like uh, with one phone in hand and the other hand on top of the, their laptop, I can't remember what MLA format looks like, Mr. Easton, can you please tell me? Right. It's, uh, it's maddening, but they're conditioned to need to go through you to get all of their answers um, and they don't necessarily always think about technology as having the resources 
um, necessary for them to like get through these pieces. And so uh, part of personalized learning, uh, really one of the big whys is agency, right? Like how do you develop um, the confidence uh, in a learner to that even if I don't know, I have a process by which it's worked before <laughs> that I, I can probably struggle a little bit and, and arrive at an answer. Uh, and we have to be intentional about creating opportunities for them to, to go through that. And some people call that stuff soft skills. Mm-hmm. I think that's an injustice to those because sure. um, they're, they're invaluable, uh, and particularly in a day and age where so many resources are available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, she learned it in a night, right? Mm-hmm. She's <laughs> like, it took me a whole hour and a half. And I was like, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you <laughs> right? did it, you did it. <laughs> uh, but the other piece, and I know you started off um, by saying this too, is that there has to be an intentionality on the teacher's part to upfront say, here's my expectation and that it's okay to struggle and it's okay to have these challenges. And, and those kind of things because otherwise students do meet that adversity maybe for one of the first times in their academic experience and they go this is not what school is supposed to be like shut down mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they uh, use that as a as a reason not to like move forward uh, and so I think that it's awesome that you guys uh, yeah like made space for that right and that first part it like I said it was really about just like figuring out the technology doing a couple of assignments putting it up on online and if they did all of those things it was like a plus you did it Mm -hmm. and then when we graded the second round it was like okay you've sort of figured out this technology but how does it how is it looking to your audience and how is it how navigable is it for uh, your audience as well and start and starting to make them look at some of those technological components that were more complex but I think that if you throw that at them at the very beginning you know it's total shutdown sure, mode sure. because there was a lot of pushback at the very beginning like I've never blogged I don't know how to do this this is not um, mm-hmm. some you know what does this have to do with English class like those kinds of pushbacks um, that eventually as they sort of worked through them and problem solved that it became oh, I, I've got this, and, and now how do I make it look good? How do I make it my own? How do I, you know, mm-hmm. and all of those components that once the technology piece, the basic technology piece, then they were looking to how do I further this technology piece and how do I make it look even better? And, yeah. you know, and just building in those expectations slowly as you're going so that they it doesn't become overwhelming to uh, them as they were, as they're beginning mm-hmm. or novices. Scaffolding expectations, mm-hmm. scaffolding academic responsibility if they don't have like a previous exposure to that. Uh, and I'll say in my earlier like forays with personal learning, it actually was pretty consistent to say this too that students will push back for several reasons, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, mm-hmm. but you're asking them to do more mm-hmm. because they are now responsible, mm-hmm. <laughs> in just in the way that your student that you're referencing a minute ago. And with most of them, they're really, especially in like your AP crew. They're really good at school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, I found some pushback from that demographic in particular because if you just line up and run information at them, they can retain it, write it in their notes, and regurgitate that on a test and get an A. And that's a heck of a lot easier uh, than having to actually um, be autonomous uh, in their, their process. And, and that's that responsibility piece again. So I think that's a really big... Uh, again, making a place for that to happen in your class is great. That's why I want to advocate for this systemically because I would love to see that happen in little you know, snippets in primary that evolves into a place where they almost come to expect it you know, after enough time and exposure. So uh, I'm going to talk to you then about the, the tech piece. 
a little bit further because the expectations after those first few blogs were you're having discussions and we're recording this stuff. How did that sort of meet with this multimodal storytelling vision that you guys had, which I thought was uh, ambitious and awesome and I don't know. <laughs> you're like, and a whole lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so the first time they collaborated, it was, you know, record it in some way. You can meet either face-to-face or use a text feature like Google Hangouts uh, chat or today's meet to have a chat conversation. They, the one house party is one that they used on their phone where you could invite up to eight people in video chat with them. And so it was, you know, meet with someone, have a reflection about your meeting. How did technology help or hinder that meeting um, and post it in some way on your blog? For anyone curious, was there any sort of guiding question or something other than beyond just a reflection? For the first one, it was just a reflect, like have a, they are very familiar with graded discussions Mm -hmm. at this point. So it was, you know, how does your author represent that lens? You know, what are some components of interest now that you've started the book? So they had been about a third of the way through the book by the time they had their first collaboration. So it, the expectations were just meet, have a discussion about the book. It should last about 20 minutes and record it in some way. So whether that be a copy of the transcript or a quick time video mm -hmm. or a quick time audio of their conversation and then post it in some way onto WordPress. And so that was the first goal. And then um, so you got 20 minute, 20 minute dump of, dump conversation. of, in, of information. Just, you told me to do this. Right. There it is. Right. And so then for part two, we talked about, okay, so now um, you obviously know how to have these conversations. And you also know that in that 20 minutes of conversation that you're having, about eight to 10 minutes of it could be really good. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's five to seven minutes could be really good where you're not just agreeing or, you know, filling space or, you know, asking each other, well, what did you think? And so we told them to start with a highlight reel. So what were the components that were really good about your discussion? And I encouraged them to take notes as they were discussing so that they could see at timestamp 1234, Emily had this really great comment so that they would just write 1234, right? So then when they posted it back on their blog, we called it their highlight reel where they could just take snippets of that technology and do a bit of reflection about what was being said and then put the actual transcript or audio in from just that moment, Um, which, you know, they were like, "Uh, so I have to clip and trim the whole thing. And I said, yeah, you got to make it so that somebody wants to listen to that full one and a half minute reel. Mm-hmm. that you have or that 30 seconds of great insight um, nobody really wants to listen to your 21 minutes going back and forth like hey this is so and so hey this is so and so which fills a lot of that sure. 20 minutes and necessary when you're having that conversation but to think about how your audience would receive that information and then tailoring that information for them through that like highlight feature and I love when that stuff is embedded in a way that it's part of the story and not just kind of a one-off, you know, if you're reading about some sort of research and then there just happens to be a pie chart, like off to the side where, oh, it's nice to have a visual. It, it like certainly added something to break up the text, but where you're actually telling a story and you get to a place where watching this next piece or listening to this is uh, almost imperative to continuing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that it's awesome that you guys expected them to start to navigate uh, those, those pieces. What would you say is something that you learned from all this that you didn't expect going in? Like some things that you're like, 
whether it be positive or negative. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like anytime you take a risk, there are things that come up and you're like, I never would have thought that, but that was a, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. You with me on that? I don't yeah, know if you had any sure. of those. Um, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I owe, I leave work almost every day having, having learned something from my students. And I would say, you know, some of it's just like in conversation, things I hadn't thought of or, um, you know, insights that they've had, but for them to enrich their experiences with their own learning and then to share that with me, their interests are so different from mine in many aspects Mm -hmm. that me just reading some of their enrichment was also enriching. And that was a surprising part (laughs) for me. I would say going forward. I was gonna I was gonna interject yeah. real quick too and just say from a, like a personalized sense we talk about how positive classroom climate leads to the opportunity for choice and that choice as students make it and start to give feedback or push back or uh, reach an authentic audience which is in your case you know would apply to that too that voice then manifests itself in a way that allows it, it becomes almost we call it like a reciprocity cycle where we get back to the classroom cl- climate improves because relationships improve you get to know your students mm-hmm. because they you get to see. Uh, them be themselves in that space that you've created and then hear from them in their unique intricacies and interests as a result of all that and when they feel heard everything benefits and it just spirals up Right. Um, would you say that? No, absolutely. And it be and it becomes from a, a standpoint that's more than just like, oh, I read this book, now I'm going to do this project for you or write this paper for you. That it was really more of a showcase of their learning. And mm-hmm. so, um, and because the parameters on some of their choice uh, learning activities were so broad that, you know, they're like, oh, I really got to get into TED Talks while yeah. I was doing this assignment, or um, I found this other person who blogs who um, really interests and I, you know, interests me, and I love the way that this writer writes, and you know, I have aspirations, or you know, I tried to model my favorite vlogger by drinking a cup of coffee while I was, you know, doing <laughs> some of my reflections, you know, and 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 naming it coffee talk with so yeah. it's a student. So, and also for students to be able to have someone who looks at something that they've put a lot of themselves into, as opposed to, you know, like, oh, I've written this paper the day before. I hope my teacher really <laughs> likes it. Yeah. I checked all my commas to this place where it was, you know, I, I found this and I want to share it. And, and this is why I think it's important. So that voice in their activities, I think, lent itself to um, being a stronger academic experience for those kids. Well, I'll ask you one more question because okay. I'm for keeping you uh, uh, here for for a long stint. But this is great. This unit is yeah. incredible, first yeah, of all. Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, and I have had just such good vibes talking with you guys, too, informally. Just, as, hey, how's it going? And you guys <laughs> just always have, like, something that you've learned or a passionate story about it, which has been great. Is there anything that I've not asked um, that you would impart to other people that are considering whether it's blogging or personalized learning or providing choices, you know, what would you kind of say to someone listening in? I would say advocate for that planning time with your team or your partner that you're going to be working with and find sort of that confidant or that partner, someone that you can build ideas and also, you know, is this crazy expectation? Should we add to it or pull away from it? But I think that planning time that we had at the beginning of the unit was incredibly 
um, important to the success of this unit because we really got to just sit down for a couple of hours and say, what was necessary? How did it meet standards? And then how do we want to see or how do we envision it continuing? And so we had a pretty set document of expectations to hand out to students on day one, which I think when you get into this personalized sort of mindset that there's so much front loading and getting it set up that it can be overwhelming that you're like, this is just too much. I'll just do like this one novel and, you know, I will pick the choices and they will do them. And, you know, they'll still get this lens of criticism. But to be able to front load and, and get that time and really find sort of like that partner who can who you can build with, I think was a necessary component for us. Um, because it made our unit run really smoothly. I mean, we mm-hmm. made very little, very few, I should say, changes to that document once it had given it to students. And so, you know, just sort of advocating for your time and to just say, like, we have this vision for this unit. Can you, you know, find an administrator who will say, you know, I'll cover your class for two hours so you yeah. can hammer this out and just go with it. And then the good, the bad, the ugly, and then revise it and make it better and, you know, keep moving forward. But to just sort of set that time aside to make it as good as you can in the beginning and then mm-hmm. continue to revise and reflect as you keep going. Oh, that's so good, like rewarding for me to hear because one of the very first conversations that we had was we... With Westside Personalized and scaling this up as a grant initiative, uh, we said, you know, how do we want to allocate some of those funds? Uh, and start off by saying ha- half a day of planning for people that want to do something ambitious. If we can just reserve some of that to out, because time is time is a big issue. We are asked to do so many things as educators, and That's anyone true. listening who's teaching right now knows <laughs> that is a hundred percent fact, regardless of where you're at. Uh, and so, you know, if it means making that time on a Saturday, that's unfortunate that, that you have to use that time. But wherever you can get it in, um, the it does take a lot of work on the front end. Mm-hmm. Well, my first person I was learning it here at Westside, I want to say I spent around 30 hours, I want to say, over about a four or five day span of time. Because <laughs> um, we had spring break, like, or fall break, I think it was, getting ready for that. But once the unit starts... Man, is everything run so smooth? And I'm not mm-hmm. sitting there the night before going, "Do I have my slides ready for tomorrow?" Mm-hmm. And what do I? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. It's all automated on some level, and you still have things that you're prepping for and getting ready. But uh, you certainly benefit on the back end from all the work you do up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and who doesn't leave work with a really good vibe <laughs> when uh, students, when you're developing that uh, relationship and getting to know them and you're looking forward to reading things rather than, right. oh, here's the next round of 125. Right. Uh, and so I think that's all really good. So thanks for that uh, advice. Thanks for your you know vision and aspirations with all this and the time you're willing to put in and for sharing your story today because I would love to see more uh, of this kind of thing, um, I think, playing out for our students. So. Yeah, it was fun. We'll definitely do it again. So Awesome. I'll be excited to hear all about that and work with you if you have any interest. So I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.